All right, we're going to open up the Word of God today. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 24 as we go to this small word today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 24. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Look at verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. For saying such things, notice that Peter said, Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus today, Lord, as we come to church for this small Bible study on this beautiful Sunday and holiday weekend, Lord, we just thank you for those that are here today. And Father, we just pray that you would bless us with this word. Help us to learn it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys can have a seat. As we go into this word in Matthew chapter 16, I want to talk to you about what Jesus said here. He looked at the eyes of Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. And then Jesus said something interesting. He said, you are a dangerous trap. And as I read that this week, and I noticed the words, you are a dangerous trap trap. I really started thinking about traps in our own lives. And I want to speak to you this morning on avoiding the most dangerous trap as a Christian. Now, if you would think about what is the most dangerous trap a Christian can get involved in, some people would obviously say, well, sin and temptation A lot of people have all types of different answers, but as I began reading this scripture, I realized that in the life of Jesus, Jesus was on earth and in his ministry for three years. Now Jesus, and during his ministry time, the devil would try to tempt him. And we know that the devil tried to tempt Jesus, and some people would say, okay, pastor, clearly the greatest trap in a Christian's life is temptation. How many of you would agree upon that? A lot of us will. Yeah, temptation is one of the greatest traps that the devil uses. And we often preach that, yeah, the devil loves to use temptation. He loves to lead you into sin. The devil knows what you like and he tries to trap you by tempting you. He knows what you're into. So that's what he tries to dangle in your life to get you to sin. And I'm not going to say that that's wrong. It's actually right because the devil tried to first trapped Jesus through temptation while Jesus was in the desert. But there's a whole other trap the devil uses that a lot of people in the church aren't even aware of, and a lot of people don't even talk about in the church. But before I even tell you 
what one of the most dangerous traps the devil uses in your life, I'm not going to tell you to weigh later in this message. I want you to look at verse 21 with me. And look at what happens here in the Bible. Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things in the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And I want you to notice on the top. Let me read that one more time. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary. Everyone say that with me. Necessary. And that he would suffer. Necessary suffering. These are words that when put together make absolutely no sense. These are words we don't understand. Necessary suffering. It means suffering that is intended to happen to bless you. And necessary suffering when it comes to God does not make sense to us. See, a lot of us understand necessary suffering in church. We understand that maybe in life there's necessary suffering, for example, when it comes to things like the gym, for example, and you don't like to, how many love to work out? No, I mean, you're a liar. You're a liar. No, you like the results you get. You love the health you get. But how many of you, because a pastor, I love nothing more than to get up at 4 a.m., sweat, do cardio, lift heavy, feel pain. I love it. No, you're lying. You love looking good in the beach. You love ladies checking you out. You love the men staring at you. You love fitting in nice clothes that make you look great. You love the results of working out, but no one likes the suffering of working out, but you know that you're willing to go through the necessary suffering because of the benefits. So we understand necessary suffering when it comes to working out. We understand, well, I don't understand, but women understand, moms understand the necessary suffering of childbirth. If you ask any woman, do you love birthing children? They're going to tell you no. No one in their right minds enjoys the process. You say things like, the day you were born, it was the most beautiful day of my life. You're lying. It's not true. It was disgusting. It was painful. It was violent. It was stressful. But see, you go through this necessary suffering because you know a child is coming out and that's a blessing. A lot of people, they don't like to work. Some people, oh no, I love to work. I love to get my hands dirty. I love to... Listen, some people do love to work. But everyone loves the benefit of what happens when you work. In the end of the week, what happens? You get that paycheck. You're able to pay your bills, put food on the table, buy your toys. You see, we love the 
benefits of working, but a lot of people say, man, there's nothing better than waking up on a Monday tired to go get in the car and fight traffic and go to work and deal with people. Man, I love it. You would say you're crazy. But we're willing to go through all of that because of necessary suffering. What about taxes? How many of you love paying taxes? You notice in the paycheck how much taxes are going away? No one likes that. But see, we go through that because we go through that suffering because we know the blessings of it. We know the benefit of it. We know what happens when you try not to pay those taxes. See, all of us understand in life what necessary suffering is. But here's the truth. When it comes to God, necessary suffering makes no sense. Because in our minds, it's difficult to accept necessary suffering from God. Because we have this picture that when you're a Christian, when you're following Christ, everything's supposed to be easy. God's somehow supposed to make your life way better, way painless, and a lot more happier. And when it comes to necessary suffering, those two words do not mix in in the life of a believer. We don't think that God and suffering coexist. But see, even Jesus, He said, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem to die and to suffer. And Jesus also said, I will suffer. Notice, Jesus began to tell His disciples plainly that it was necessary for Him to go to Jerusalem that He would suffer many terrible Things. Jesus did not just say, I'm going to suffer some bad things. He said, I'm going to suffer terrible things. I'm going to suffer many terrible things. See, in our life, we're going to have many terrible things happen to us. Many terrible things have happened to you. I want you to think about your life right now. How many of you can point out at least three Terrible things that have happened to you. Show me your hands. All right. Maybe right now, taking your eyes off the past and we put it into the present, maybe you're going through something terrible right now. Now, taking our eyes off the present, let me put it to you on the future and really disappoint you. I promise you, in the future, you're going to go through terrible things. Doesn't matter if you love God. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Doesn't matter what ministry you're a part of. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You will go through many terrible things. You're going to go through cancer. You might go through loss. Loss of a loved one. You're going to go through the death of a marriage. You're going to go through the death of a loved one. You're going to go through betrayal. You're going to go through abuse. You're going to go through rejection, hurt, pain, suffering, disappointment. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer terrible things in the hands of religious people and teachers. And a lot of you understand this, that some of you have suffered terribly under the hands of someone else. Someone else's choices. Someone else's selfishness. Someone else's just idea just pierced you with pain. You didn't ask for this. You didn't want it. 
It seems unfair. And as a pastor, when a lot of people go through suffering, it's hard for me to look at them in the eyes and say, hey, God has a plan for this. This is God's will. A lot of times people sit with me as a pastor and they say, Pastor, why did God do this? Why is God allowing this? I thought God loved me. I thought God had a plan for my life. This doesn't make sense. If God loved me, why did he allow this to happen? I remember as a pastor having to sit down with a 12-year-old girl and explain to her how God had it in his plan that she would be repeatedly raped by her father and her uncles and her friends and their friends. And she sat there and said, Pastor, if God really loved me, if God really had a plan like you said, why did he allow this to happen? God did not allow it. It's just that in our free will, we will suffer in the hands of many people. But see, when it comes to suffering, necessary suffering makes no sense. In fact, look at verse 22 when Jesus said, It's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and suffer many terrible things. Notice what Peter did. Peter thought he was doing a great thing here. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And he said, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. You know that Peter stood aside, he got Jesus aside, And Peter actually corrected Jesus. And Peter told Jesus, listen, Peter, Peter got Jesus and said, listen, Jesus, I think you're wrong here. I don't think you're going to suffer. I'm not going to allow you to get hurt. I'm not going to allow you to die. We're going to stop this. This is not going to happen. Imagine Peter taking Jesus aside and correcting him. And let me be honest, church, when I first read this, I used to, I used to criticize Peter. I used to judge him. I used to say, Peter, you're crazy. How can you sit and grab Jesus and put him aside and correct him and tell him how things are going to happen, what's not going to happen? How are you really telling Jesus how things in life are going to take place? How are you thinking you're in so much control? And I used to criticize him until this very week, as I read this passage, I was telling God, well, God, I can't believe Peter did that to you. And I felt the Lord impress in my heart, David, you are Peter. Many people are Peter. Let me explain. When you go through suffering in life, aren't you quick to try to correct God and say, God, it's not supposed to be this way? Show me your hands. It's not supposed to be like this. This isn't supposed to happen. God, I I can't allow this to take place. This is so unfair. See, that's exactly what Peter was telling Jesus. So before we even look at Peter and judge him for trying to stop Jesus from coming to the cross, before we even judge Peter and say, well, where is your faith? How can you have done that? Realize that there's a little Peter in all of us. When life gets hard and difficult and you're going through the suffering and the pain, you tend to want to get alone with Jesus like he got alone with him. And you tend to want to get alone with God and say, listen, God, it's not supposed to be this way. I wasn't supposed to be sick. I was supposed to be married by now. I'm supposed to have children by now. I'm supposed to have this promotion by now. I wasn't supposed to 
get rejected like this. I wasn't supposed to go through this. And a lot of people during the midst of suffering, they get alone with God just like Peter and start correcting him. They start really trying to take control of their life and say, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going to do something about this. And some of you are going through something right now and you think you can do something about it. But see, if it's God's will, you go through it. You're going through it and there's nothing you can do about it. He's alone. Correcting Jesus. Maybe you feel like getting alone with God and correcting Him about some things, thinking that He's made some mistakes. Peter thought Jesus was wrong. And how many times in your life do you feel like the God, that God has gotten things wrong in your life? There's people that are sick and they're saying, no, God's got it wrong. I, I, I think about my cousin right now who just gave birth and to a premature baby weighing one pound. You don't think that I got alone with God this week and say, God, th this shouldn't be like this. This isn't right. This isn't fair. There's so many people that, that really are after this abortion bill and they want all these infants to die. And then this one cousin of mine that's dying, that really, she's dying to have her baby. You're going to take this life away from her? Don't you think that there are people that are on the verge of divorce and they're saying, God, you made a mistake. It wasn't supposed to be like this. When we walked down the aisle and we exchanged vows and we promised we'd be together forever, it wasn't supposed to be like this, God. And you think that God somehow has made a mistake. You see, through life, there's suffering that takes place. And one of the things that's hard to accept is when that suffering is necessary. You get confused like Peter did. I'm confused, Lord. How can it, how can you go to Jerusalem to die? Peter was angry with Jesus. And maybe you get angry with the Lord and say, God, I'm mad at you right now because this is so hard on me. Maybe like Peter, you get discouraged or you get worried. And here's a fatal mistake that Peter made. And why we are a lot like Peter. You guys ready for this? Not only are we like Peter because sometimes we want to correct Jesus in the suffering in our lives? But if we're honest enough, sometimes we think and assume we know what's best for us. Sometimes we really think we know what's best. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes we really do think and assume we know what's best for our lives. And Peter thought it was best for Jesus not to go to Jerusalem and suffer. Think about that. Because what happens if Peter would have gotten his way and Jesus would never have gone to Jerusalem, Jesus would never have suffered in the hands of people, Jesus would never have died on the cross. Do you realize the outcome of that? There'd be no death, no resurrection, therefore no forgiveness of sin. We'd still be penalized, punished for our sins, dead in our sins, and we would die and go to hell for all eternity and be worse off than ever if Peter got his way. But there was a moment where Peter thought 
He knew better. And maybe in your life right now, you think you know what's best for your life. You think you know what's best for your children. You think you know what's best for your future. You know, you think you know what's best for a partner. You think you know what's best. But see, the Bible is clear that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It means that sometimes you're seeing things all wrong in your life. So the Bible challenges us with this. Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6. <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's a command. Lean not on your own what? On your own understanding. And that word lean literally means to put all your weight on something for support. And God says, do not lean on your understanding. Your understanding of life should not be your support. Why? Because your understanding sometimes could be completely off. Completely wrong. And see, what God says right now is, trust in me with all your heart. And the only way you can trust God with all your heart is by not leaning on what you understand. See, when you acknowledge, the Bible says in verse 6, it says, in all your ways, let me say this slowly for all of us to understand, in all your ways, say that with me, in all your ways, that means in every area of your life, every area, God says, I want you to acknowledge me. That word acknowledge literally means to recognize, to know. Recognize what? To recognize that in every area of your life, God has a plan. In every area of your life, God is in control. In every area of your life, God is working. And in every area of your life, God is powerful. So you need to trust Him. You can't rely on your own understanding. You can't rely on your own assumption. You can't lean on your own control. Why? Because you can tend to see things all wrong. In fact, this is how the devil tries to trap us. He tries to get you to think you know better. He tries to get you to see that your understanding is better than God's. And when you take matters into your own hands, like Peter tried to do, you can really mess up the plans of God. You can really ruin your life and damage the work of God in your life. And so many people like Peter, we tend to want to take control of the situation we're in, try to take control of our lives, try to fix things only God can fix, try to change things only God can change. And like Peter, we think we know better. But see, if Peter would have gotten his way, everything would have been messed up. All of the plans that God had would have been ruined. And you want to know a quick way to ruin your life? Assume you know best. Assume that you're in control. And don't even acknowledge God. Every time... 
you're going through something and you pray, you're acknowledging God. Every time you ask yourself, Lord, what should I do? You're acknowledging God. Every time you say, Lord, I need your help, you're acknowledging God. But you know how many people go through life? How many Christians go through life? How many people are in church on Sundays, but Monday through Saturdays don't even acknowledge God? They don't pray about things. They don't ask God for wisdom. But the Bible says in every area of your life, Acknowledge Him. And that's something Peter did not do. So let's talk about how to avoid this dangerous trap that Satan wants to grab you with. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. See, Jesus recognized Satan working. Through Peter. Jesus also saw the trap. He said, you're a dangerous trap to me. What is this dangerous trap Jesus saw the devil trying to lure Jesus in? Here it is. You guys ready? You're only seeing things from a merely from a human point of view. Not God's. Let me say that one more time. Jesus said, you're a dangerous trap to me. Because you are only, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view. And not from God's. See, outside of temptation, the devil likes to trap people by getting them to see life from a human point of view. He tries to really trap Christians by thinking what you see is what it is and go by what you see and have faith in what you see. And when you begin to live your life from a human point of view, it begins to destroy the plans of God in your life. When you begin to live your life from a human point of view, it begins to fill your life with doubt and worry and stress and discouragement. That's why Jesus, when he saw that Peter was only seeing things from a human point of view and not from a godly perspective, he knew that the devil was trying to trap him. The devil was trying to stop the work of God in his life. And I love how Jesus said this is a dangerous trap because a trap is an object that catches you and it keeps you from freedom. And as I saw that, I realized how many Christians today are trapped. You know you're trapped because you're a believer, but you have fear in your life. You know you're trapped because you're a believer, but you live with constant worry and stress and anxiety. You know you're trapped because you're a believer, but you don't have peace in your life. You know you're trapped because you're a believer, but there's no joy. There's no satisfaction. 
You know you're trapped because constantly in your mind you're worried about what's going to happen and what if, and you're worried about tomorrow and what if this happens and what if that doesn't happen and what if I don't get this, what if God doesn't come through, how am I going to do this, what's going to happen and how and why and if and when and you're living your life under this constant level of stress. You know you're trapped when you look at your life and it fills you with discouragement and fear and yet you're still a believer in Christ. Does that make sense to you? But you know how many Christians are trapped today? And we're trapped because we're looking at life through a human point of view. But as a Christian, you're called not to see things the way the world does, but to see things the way God does. When you see things through a human perspective, you're going to think the world is over. There's a big difference between a godly point of view and a human point of view. And here it is, Romans 8.28 shows us what a godly point of view looks like. And we know, that word know literally means without doubt and full confidence. How do you know you're looking at life through a godly point of view? You're living this life with confidence in spite of what's happening, what you watch on the news, what's happening in your personal life, what went wrong, what terrible things you've gone through, what you're lacking, no matter what you're going through, you're living life knowing with confidence because you're seeing these things through not a human point of view, but a godly point of view. We know. We're confident. That God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. See, when you look at life through a godly point of view, you're able to see that even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it's ugly right now, we know with confidence that God always works in every area at every time in our lives. And everything you're going through goes with a reason and a purpose to fulfill the plans of God. You don't live your life stressed as a Christian because you're seeing it through the lens of God. Let me point it this way. Right now, let's say right now this is God's throne. Here's heaven. And the Bible says God is at the throne. And He looks down on earth. And what does He see? He sees chaos. He sees a school shooting. He sees inflation. He sees gas prices. He sees everything expensive. He sees wars. He sees family problems. He sees divorce on a rise. He sees all the stress and chaos and problems and fears and stress and worry and everything in the world. But here's what I want you to think right now. We all know the world's in trouble, right? But if you would look at God right now on the throne, how would you see God? Would you see him like this? What was that? What are we going to do about this? Oh my, it's bad, it's terrible. No, because there's a sense of, I see it. I know it's happening. But see, not only am I a God that knows the past, the present, but I also see the future. So because I see the future, you can rest in the present 
that I'm working it all out. I got a plan. And God right now, I promise you, God right now is at the throne, fully in control. So when you see things the way God does, it should cause you to act the way God does. Confident, stable, relaxed. Some of you don't even know what relaxed means anymore. Because you're seeing things from a human point of view. You're seeing things from a worldly perspective. But you're different because you know God. And you need to trust Him. You see, this week, I was with my father-in-law and with Danny. We were out in the ocean and it got a little rough. And it got a lot rough. And they were a little worried. And every once in a while, they kept looking back at me because I was the captain. I'm the one driving. And I'll be honest with you. I wasn't worried at all. I'm a great captain. I'm not bragging. But I wanted to make sure that when they looked back and saw me, that I was smiling. That's all I did. I had the wheel and I was like, did. And I'm telling you, when they saw me smile, it's like, oh, we're fine. We're okay. Because if David's smiling, it's because he knows we're okay, he's in control. See, when you look at God right now in this chaotic world, I promise you, he's smiling. Because he has a plan. There's a purpose behind it. You need to trust Him. God had a reason behind the suffering. Jesus was supposed to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, to raise again, so that we would have atonement and forgiveness for our sins. There was a greater purpose and plan for the suffering of Jesus, more than what Peter could see and understand. See, that's the difference between a godly point of view and a human point of view. A human point of view is limited. We can only go as far as what we see in the now. But God's point of view can go beyond what's in the now and He can see what's in the future. And because God is in the future as well as in the present, He can work all things together to make His plans work and happen in our lives. Are you guys getting this this morning? My question to you, are you getting trapped right now? This dangerous trap of human perception. A human point of view. Jesus said in verse 24, He said this, to Peter. He said to all of his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. 
follow me. See, when you're looking at life through a human point of view, you become selfish. What about me? What about my plans? What about my life? What about my desires? What about the things I want to do? What about me, God? Bless me, God. What about me? What, what, what is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me, God? This shouldn't happen to me. And I want this and I want that. And I didn't get this and I need that. And your plans become all about me, myself, and I. That is a human point of view. But Jesus gave this challenge to his followers. Stop being selfish. Trust me. And follow me. Trust me when things are terrible. Trust me when things make no sense. Trust me when life is hard. Trust me when it makes like it feels like God is against you. Trust that God has a purpose and a plan to why you went through what you went through, why a certain opportunity did not happen, why a certain pain was brought into your life. Understand that God, when you see things through a godly point of view, you know that God has his best for you. God is for you, not against you, and he's working it all for your good and for your purpose. And this is a lesson I have to learn constantly as a pastor. Because as a church, we go through terrible times. And I remember in 2020, we had just signed the lease to be in this church. And the lease was a lot more money than we could afford, but we had faith. And I remember that day, I met with the pastor here, and we were in the fellowship hall at that moment, and I signed the lease, and I was scared, but I was looking at it to a godly point of view, knowing that God was a provider, knowing that I could not lean on my own understanding, meaning I don't have to trust in what I see, because if I did, I would never have signed that lease. And when I signed the lease, I said, okay, God, you got this. You're going to do great. You're going to provide. And guess what happened in 2020? Did something happen in 2020? COVID hit. The church shut down. And they still wanted their rent. My human point of view said, that's it. I messed up. The church is going to close. We can't pay this without having church service. I thought at that moment, God played a trick on me. I thought at that moment, it was unfair. I thought, God, after everything we've gone through without having a church, and just when I thought we had a small place to rent and have service in, all of a sudden, now everything gets shut down, and it seemed like it was unfair and hurtful. In my own understanding, the devil was trapping me. And after the whole COVID ordeal, like this whole thing, and we were getting back to normal. The pastor said, listen, because of COVID, all of the church members that met here had to leave. So if you want and you're willing, we can actually get your church to come here to this sanctuary and you can still have the fellowship hall. Because I'll be honest with you, I hated it over there. 
And I said, Lord, thank you that because of this terrible thing called COVID, we were able to have this vacant place open to us. We were able to see and do more for your kingdom. And God, we were able to see that you always had a plan. Because God, before COVID even happened, already knew it would happen. God already had a way. God already made a plan. And my point is this. Whatever you're going through now, God knew you'd go through before it even happened to you. And God already had a plan. But what the devil wants to do is get you to see things your way. Your point of view. And it's a trap. As a Christian, you're called to just deny yourself and follow to say Lord I don't understand it but I'll follow Lord this is unbearable but I'll follow Lord it's not about me it's about you and I'll follow I'll trust you you have a choice church leave here now with your point of view and live a life of being trapped, discouraged, fearful. Or say, no, I'm called to a different standard of perception. And I see things the way God sees it. And if God is allowing me to go through this, it's because he's given me the grace to go through it. And I'm going through it because something greater is coming out of it. Let's all stand to pray today as we dismiss. Father, we just thank you for this small word. And Father, though we are a small group today, we know that you still speak. So Father, I pray that if the devil is trying to trap us by our point of view, by what we see, what we understand, knowing that we are limited, forgive us, Lord. And in you, Lord, we will put our trust, acknowledging you, recognizing that you are God on the throne in control with a plan. Give us the strength not to be selfish, but that to deny ourselves and trust you, following you always to the destiny and the life you have called us to have. And I pray, Lord, you give a special anointing of grace to everyone here today that may be going through terrible things, may be fearful of their life and future. Help them, Lord, to understand that your ways are greater than ours, and so is your understanding. We lean on you now, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us today.